Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, Matt Smethurst. Matt is the managing editor of the Gospel Coalition and the author of the recent book, Before You Open Your Bible. Matt's a friend of mine, a very sharp thinker. Um, You have a pretty big social media following, Matt. Can you explain yourself for us? (laughs) No, I hope you you don't have me on to talk about that. (laughs) I don't. Uh, I I appreciate your book. I appreciate your content, seriously, on social media. It's very edifying content. It's very God-focused and Bible-focused. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on to City of God, because this is a book that is trying to drive Christians into Scripture. And honestly, I don't know how you would frame it, but I would say basically, if we're going to address eh, essentially all of the problems that ail us today in 2019 as God's people, that's pretty much the solution. Go towards the Bible. Do you agree? Yeah, well, I think it's certainly the starting point. I mean, without without that, um, any any other efforts will ultimately prove futile, at least at least in the eyes of God. Why did you want to write this book, Matt? What prompted this in your life? In part, this is a struggle that I've had over the course of, of, of many years, um, knowing the importance of Scripture in my head, but not always um, engaging it on a day-to-day basis as if what I know is actually true. And so writing the book was, uh, was a, a really excellent exercise for, for my own soul, my own devotional life. Um, but also it, it's a topic that I um, have been energized about, passionate about for a while, and um, I was speaking to some college students about it, and the publisher uh, saw the video and approached me and, and asked if I'd want to expand it into a book. I had not really seen a, a book in the concept, but uh, in, in the topic, but they saw it, and um, I, I'm encouraged as I hear that, that people are finding it useful, just as um, thinking through these things has been helpful for me. I want to go a few places in the actual book itself, and yet I do know a little bit about your background. I think we share, please confirm this or deny it in a second, but I think we share two things, two major things, uh, a strong interest in basketball, at least in the past. And then secondly, we were both at one time interns at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Are those two data points true? They are. I thought your second one was going to be a a love for hip-hop, but yes. Uh, So we we share more than two things, but yes, those those are two true data points. We share three things. In fact, four. We're both image bearers. So um, tell me about... (laughs) Tell me about, because your story, the story you articulate here and that you just referenced more seriously, um, sounds like mine, where um, I picked up in the book that you, you know, you had an interest at some point in your life in the things of God, but uh, it wasn't your consuming passion. Um, That resonates with me, not that we have the same story or anything, but I I would say I was a born-again Christian in high school, for example, but I... I, I really had a strong passion for sports, for basketball. I didn't have as strong a passion for the Scripture. Is that true in your experience? 
That is, yeah. When I think about uh, my life in middle school and high school, I believe I was genuinely converted. Uh, I was known as a Christian in my high school. I, I meant to, to live as a Christian, and yet in many ways, especially in hindsight, I can see just how lukewarm I was in my faith. I think if, if my faith was, uh, or if my life was kind of like a meal, Jesus was on the table, but he was a side dish. Hmm. And, um, and he did not have kind of pride of place in my, in my thoughts or my affections. And it wasn't until college that God really arrested my heart and captivated me with the glory and the beauty of Christ in a way I hadn't seen it before. So talk to us about how that happened, and then connect that, if you would, to CHBC. How did you end up in D.C. studying under Dever and others? Yeah, so my freshman year of college, I, I share this story briefly in the book, but I was randomly placed with a roommate, and it uh, it didn't go so well that first semester. He... Um, he hated me because I was a Protestant Christian. Every time I would go to a campus ministry meeting, uh, it, w- it would just enrage him. I'd never experienced anything like that, and honestly, I haven't experienced any- anything like that since. Wow. But what it did was it drove me to my Bible in a new way. The Bible had always been something that I affirmed uh, and that I, I appreciated, but it, it was not something that uh, for which I was desperate. There's a sense in which I, I, I had, all, had long approached my Bible like it was a snack, but not like it was a feast without which I would wither and die. Mm. And so that first semester of my freshman year, I just remember for the first time in my life waking up every morning and genuinely feeling like if I don't start today with my nose in my Bible, I'm not going to survive. I can't handle this roommate situation. And the Lord used that as a catalyst to drive me not only into His Word, but also into caring more broadly about uh, theology and apologetics and just taking my faith and ultimately my God more seriously. And that, that uh, just kind of continued through college, and then after I graduated, I spent a couple of years in East Asia as a missionary. Um, getting to share the gospel with people who had never heard it and disciple them in the scriptures. And then when I returned to the States after that, I uh, went to Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C., and was a pastoral intern at that church. And, and that was, that's like taking the red pill <laughs> ecclesiologically. I mean, that is like ecclesiological boot camp. And personally, I, I was kind of the product of, of the parachurch, and I, and I, I love uh, crew, that's the ministry I, I was um, particularly involved with. I am, am really grateful for, for faithful campus ministries, and the crew chapter that I was a part of in college was especially robust theologically, and yet ecclesiology, the doctrine of the Church, was one area that I had just never thought much about. So the Lord knew that I needed uh, the kind of boot camp that that internship proved to be. There's a lot there. Uh, I appreciate your answer. Um, there's a good focus, I would say, in our time on your affections as a Christian, you know, engaging your heart to know the Lord, and ideally that's how we approach Scripture every day. I love what you just said and what you uh, wrote in your chapter on approach your Bible desperately. Uh, Others of these chapters, by the way, Matt, in this book, 
before you open your Bible, I expected. That one I did not necessarily um, expect. You said, you said this on page 22, in order to survive the situation with Michael, your roommate you just mentioned, I started reading my Bible, devouring it, really. Perhaps the language of survival sounds a bit dramatic to you, the reader, but that's what it felt like to my 18-year-old self. I realized I couldn't survive a single day with Michael if I didn't begin the day with God. I wasn't approaching my Bible out of duty. I wasn't even approaching it out of delight. I was approaching it out of desperation. I want to connect this to obedience in a minute, but I think this is really important, Matt. This is a really important insight, especially for younger evangelicals who might think they should do the right thing uh, in life in general, but they should really do it when their heart is engaged. If we're not careful, in other words, we might think that authenticity, being honest to our true feelings, is the highest value in life, the highest principle. But you're saying, in a manner of speaking, that there's something even more needful uh, than, than being authentic, if you will. You're saying you had a desperate need for Scripture, and I'm guessing you would still say that today. Is that true? That's exactly right, Owen, and, and I would even want to uh, want to challenge the person who desires to be authentic by by saying, actually, you're settling for inauthenticity. If you want to be truly authentic, then don't be authentic to your natural self. Be authentic to your redeemed self. Be Amen. authentic to who God has made you to be, which is going to entail doing things that we don't feel like doing. Mm. And in one of the chapters in the book, I talk about how it is the nature of discipline to give way to delight. We we can't just expect uh, to find ourselves enjoying and delighting in the things we know we should without putting in the the requisite work. And and like I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, that's even a struggle for me now. Um, I don't always you know wake up in the morning excited to engage with God, but I should. I, if I if I was thinking rightly about him and myself and the world, that would be uppermost in, in my mind and, and in my heart yes. uh, whenever I, I get out of bed. No, I, I feel that keenly myself, Matt, um, since this is uh, a moment of, of honesty, uh, properly understood in light of the previous question. But uh, I, I myself, man, I don't know, uh, with, uh, with kids in school, let's say, for, in my case, that I have to get uh, get to the school at a certain hour in the morning, earlier than I might myself select, let's say, um, morning devotions sometimes feels rapturous and exciting, and, uh, you know, like you're drinking from, from the fountain um, in exactly the kind of joyful way you always wish you would. And sometimes morning devotions feels like you really and truly did not get the sleep you needed, uh, the day is crash landing in on you, and you have, to use your language, a desperate need for God. And so you are in the Word, even if your feelings take a little bit of time to kick in. Of course, the Word of God always is that fountain, but let's be honest. we, Because we have sinful hearts, we don't necessarily always even want what we should, even to the degree that we should want it. And so I, I really um, affirm what you say here. Do you find this in your own devotional life? What is your what is your devotional life in terms of reading scripture look like in this season? Yeah, well, like you, it it varies. My kids are now going to a uh, a new school uh, where they where they go three days a week, and so um, on those three days, I'm waking up early and taking them to school, and so often it's on those days it's after I drop them off that I'm alone and can 
kind of start my day with God before I enter into my, my regular work. Mm-hmm. On the other days, like you're saying, I just have to kind of fight for it more. Uh, and one thing I would add, Owen, um, you know, the, the struggle to prioritize the living Word of God when we wake up in the morning is nothing new. It's not unique to this age. And yet what is unique to this age is the sheer amount of noise with which we are inundated every morning we wake up because of cable news, talk radio, and that massive thing called social media. And so if we're not careful, um, we can kind of hit our word limit in terms of intake before we've even, you know, turned our attention to the most important book we own. I find that true as well. I work hard, um, to not fire up the smartphone or the tablet, uh, let alone the computer, with all the email it brings uh, crash, crashing into my life until I have read my morning passage of Scripture. Um, I'm not presenting myself as the exemplar here. Uh, the only reason I have that kind of uh, personal prescription is because of exactly what you said. If I start surfing that wave of social media or whatever, it's very hard to dip back out and then focus my mind on the deep things of God. Yep, I resonate with that. You also talk about approaching your Bible obediently, which is a, a kind of a similar point, but th- the last one here that I'd like to highlight today, you say this in this chapter, chapter 5, I want to reiterate that the Bible is not an arbitrary list of prohibitions. It's an epic story of a creator more committed to your joy than you could imagine. And then continuing here, so approach your Bible obediently because obedience produces joy. This, too, is along the lines of that theme we were discussing, that uh, you want to approach the Scripture desperately, and you want to, you want to read the Bible fundamentally uh, in the power of gospel grace, but, but in that same power, you have been called to read it. Do you think that's accurate, Matt? Absolutely, and, and that is going to feel particularly counterintuitive in our day because it's particularly countercultural. The the world is telling us, and even many, many segments of the Christian world um, is, is shouting to us every day that that authenticity, like we were talking about earlier, true life, joy, that it's found in listening to yourself. Hmm. But the Bible crashes into our intuitions and into our experience and says, no, says True joy is not found in listening to yourself. True joy is found in listening to God. That doesn't mean that the joy is always going to be immediate, like like we, we can just get zapped with it, at like uh, like we're in a microwave. It's not always going to be enjoyable. In you know, the, 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 I'm not saying the process of engaging God's word, wrestling with God, um, spending time on our knees before Him is going to always be enjoyable, and yet it will bear long term fruit that we will never regret. And so um, I think that, yeah, it's very popular in, in our day, and, and in, even in the Church, just look at the the, uh, best, the list of best-selling Christian books to call people to be, to be true to themselves and, and to um, do whatever it takes to, to make themselves happy. But in, in, the, in, the immediate, um, in the immediate term, and yet what Scripture is calling us to do is take a longer view uh, such that we do what it takes to make ourselves happy, not just 10 minutes from now, but 10,000 years from now. 
And I, I know in my own life, I have never regretted spending time with God, and I've never regretted the sacrifice that it took in any particular situation to do so. One of the reasons I asked you earlier about your sporting career is because in, in reading your book, I sensed some of that perspective that you were just articulating. In other words, that you're almost applying uh, lessons of physical discipline to spiritual discipline. And there's not necessarily a connection, of course, if you've been an athlete, that you'll be a godly Christian. No one's making that point. And yet, I do hear uh, some resonances with what you're saying. If you're going to make gains, let's say, as, as an athlete, you have to put in the hard work. You have to put in the 10,000 unseen hours so that, you know, in the one hour that's public, uh, things go well. So it is with with Christianity. Not that we're ultimately publicly performing, but if we're going to be faithful, if we're going to be faithful, we have to put in that work. There's no shortcut there, though, in, in spiritual terms, is there? No, and uh, Owen, I'm reminded of an article you wrote uh, for the Gospel Coalition a few years ago in which you made, I think, a really insightful point that uh, we evangelicals will always have to contend for the truthfulness of the Bible, but in our generation, we have to also contend for the goodness of the Bible. And in some ways, the primary street-level objection to Scripture, and perhaps even the kind of intuitional uh, hindrance in our own hearts, is not so much on the question, is the Bible true, but is the Bible good? Is the Bible beautiful? Is this is this um, going to to offer the kind of satisfaction that I'm daily chasing. And I think that the resounding message of Scripture is that you must walk by faith but not by sight. And in our cultural moment, part of what that means is trusting the unseen, namely that this is what you need. This is what's good for you. This is what will um, make you most happy. I think it was John Piper one time who said that God is not a killjoy, he just opposes what kills joy, <laughs> and it's it, it's 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 um, grappling with the scriptures such that we that we um, that we seek to take that from the from the realm of cliche or you know tweetable quote to something that has been internalized in our heart and, and ultimately uh, changes our lives, which is not easy, but it's worth it. I appreciate that very much, Matt. Um, before you open your Bible. Your, your book here is, is a very good resource. I would commend it to, honestly, readers of all ages. Um, I think it will fire just about anyone up, honestly, to get into the Word of God, which is the fundamental uh, duty of the Christian and the fundamental means, really, of grace for, for us individual Christians and even the life of the local church. So, Matt, you've done really good work here. Appreciate your work at TGC. Uh, thankful for your voice and your witness, and and I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Owen. It's been fun to talk with you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the Center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.